can be absolutely brilliant, but at the same time, it doesn't work everywhere. It does, even within a category, some retailers it would work for, others it wouldn't. And it brings an awful lot of complexity. One thing I learned over the years is don't overestimate your members' ability to understand complicated program mechanics. You know, most members are inclined not to take in the detail. They just join and see what happens. You know, suggestions, oh, why don't we have a dedicated lane? <laughs> dedicated lane in the supermarket to the gold supermarket customers. None of them ever come close to stacking up. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we'd like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore when tiers work best in loyalty programs. To help me with this, I'm joined by two guests who have over 50 years of loyalty experience between them. I'm not going to say who's got more than the other. <laughs> and over 75 years of loyalty experience, if you include me in that equation as well. So, And tonight we have two Phils. So Phil Hawkins from Australia. Hi, Phil. How are you? Oh, hi, Anne. Very glad to be uh, with you. Perfect. And we'll refer to you as Phil H today, if you don't mind. That's fine. And uh, Phil Gunter, also from Australia. Hi, Phil. How are you? Uh, very good, Ian. And good uh, Phil, Phil G for the evening. So there we are. Exactly. <laughs> so to get us started tonight, could you each give a brief introduction to yourselves and your experience of tiered programs? So um, Phil H, would you like to go first on that one? Yeah, thanks, Anne. Yeah, my, my loyalty experience has been primarily with um, retail programs and specifically with the Flybys program over many, many years. But I have um, been involved in program design of tiered programs in, in retail, but also been a keen observer of tiered programs uh, in other uh, fields, particularly frequent flyer programs. And, you know, back with Flyby's experience, it's been a point of uh, discussion for many years. You know, why isn't there tiering in a program like Flyby's? Perfect. And uh, Phil G? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I've, as many know, I ran Virgin's program for seven years. Um, started it or joined when it was a basic marketing program with no tiers. Um, put tiers in 18 months later, just silver and gold. And, and then four years after that, revamped the whole thing again and put in at the fourth tier platinum. Um, so so can, can have a good understanding of, of tiers in the airlines. And as New York Loyalty, we've advised so many different clients in different fields, some to have tiers and others that they really shouldn't. So yeah. it really does depend. Yeah, and um, and I'm similar. I've 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 got um, you know, everyone knows me from the podcast really, and after over 25 years experience in loyalty, I've worked with um, Avios with British Airways and and Iberia and all the airlines that in, in the IAG stable, they've all got tiers. Also worked at Virgin Atlantic, Phil, similar to yourself with Virgin Australia. They had three tiers in one invitation group. And also I've worked closely with the likes of Tesco Clubcard and others over the years where they've had things like keys, so not names of tiers, but they've had different levels of recognition over the years. And I mean, Phil, similar to you, we advise lots of clients in lots of areas. And often the, in the first conversation, especially with senior management, is what should our tier strategy be? And it's almost like a a an assumption that you'd have tiers going in, which is why I was really keen to do this podcast because uh, saying do you have tiers or not is a way, way, way more nuanced consideration than just simply saying we'll have a program, we'll have tiers because we've seen it work in frequent flyer programs. And so I really don't think it is an assumption going in that you should have one. I mean, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting point, Ian, because 
You know, I've been in plenty of conversations where we've been discussing a retail loyalty program mm. and the audience have been usually high-flying businessmen, usually men, mm-hmm. and their their experience in loyalty programs is frequent flyer programs. Yeah. And so you know, there's been a collision where they naturally think about gold and platinum memberships and a discussion about, particularly in retail, about whether that whether tiering might be or might not be appropriate. It's a really good point. And I think it comes down to the psychology of tiering as well, because I think there's this subtle thing between achievement and entitlement. I've done lots of research over the years with people in tiers in frequent flyer programs, and the psychology you're playing on there is entitlement and status. Whereas the the, the, the achievement that you feel in a retail program where the earning the earning profile is much flatter in my view, is much more about achievement rather than entitlement. And I've been in, I've seen, I've seen it. In fact, I saw it in one evening once we had, in one group, we had frequent flyer members who were who were in high tiers. And in the next group, we had high collectors in a, a retail grocery program. And you couldn't have got two different groups and two different psychologies working differently. In fact, in the, and we were, we were making a change to program. So at one point, we had a guy in a tie who worked for KPMG or one of the big consultancies, literally banging on the window saying, whose crazy idea was this? I want to speak to someone. And, and, and if you look down what he'd spent on the, on the um, on, it was none of his own money. And, but it was this feeling of entitlement that they got from a loyalty program. Whereas in a retail program, which is much subtler than that, it's a growing, it's a growing, it's a growth of value over time. And it has a very different psychology where they felt they were their points and they were going to use them for something nice. And it was a very, very different um, thing. I mean, Phil, Phil, I can see, Phil G, Phil G what's, your, what's your view on that? I think you've got to be careful. You, yeah. you, can, you, 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 you can watch a couple of um, research groups and, and, and think that's normal. Uh, even within one program, even within uh, a, any frequent flyer program, there'll be a stack of people that are striving to get to that next tier. And when they get there, there's a huge sense of achievement. Equally, you've got people that have been spending someone else's money for, for years, maybe not even um, still spending that much money, but feel entitled. So even within the same tier, you could have, two, you could have both sorts of, of people. Um, the, the, only, the, the thing I would say is, is tiers, in the, in, the right, in the right business, tiers can be absolutely brilliant. Right. They can be absolutely brilliant. The, 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 way, the, the ability of, of, a, of, of a tiered based program to engage people. This is where we talk about the difference between rewards and loyalty. A tier-based program can be absolutely brilliant and can, can, can deliver actually people making extra stuff, doing extra stuff just to get there, right? And you'd have to be a numeric idiot to buy more stuff to get to, to get a reward because you because you're, you're always by definition getting a proportion of the rewards right but status a tiers can deliver can can make people there's even like status runs there's, there's names for it can make people do stuff right and, and you and but, you've observed that behavior within particularly within travel programs or you've seen the the change in incremental spend to get to certain tier benefits totally Totally. So you will always, you always have the, the people that, that that have been there for years and they just expect it. But you but you do have a stack of people that are actively aware of where they are in, in the in the cycle and do what they need to do. Like when I was in banking, it was quite a common term. Say, oh, I need to, I need to do a, a trip to make my to make my. <laughs> it, it, like even like the people didn't even hide it. I, I, I'm gonna, I I need to make a trip to to keep my tear, and people just accepted it. Um, so. 
Uh, it can be absolutely brilliant, like rewards can be, but at the same time, it doesn't work everywhere. It does, even within a category, some retailers it would work for, others it wouldn't. Um, and it brings an awful lot of complexity. And, that, and that's the thing that a lot of people who haven't run a, a tier-based program don't understand how complex it is. There are so many different rules and so many different problems that you have to deal with if you do have a, a, a tier-based system. That incredible pull that you see in the behavioural, the behavioural effect that you know getting to that next status, it is a strong thing. But it does it does mean that you've got to have very attractive benefits across tiers. You know, I look at the frequent profile programs in Australia, and it seems to me, yes, there's the thing about entitlement, and I've achieved this, but it's all about you know that access to the lounge and that. That seems to be the thing that people seem to know, oh, yeah, those frequent flyer programs, once you get to goal, you get into the lounge. But for a lot of non-frequent flyer programs, trying to create those type of experiences across each tier is really challenging. And even in the frequent flyer programs, what works at gold tier doesn't work at silver tier. You look at the silver tier benefits, it's almost like, oh, here... Here are a couple of things will dangle to you, but they're not really good. But the real good things come at gold. And, you know, I've seen in design of retail programs, it's the same thing. That second tier, I think, is very difficult because what are the benefits that you can portray that you know are going to be shared with a lot of people who get to that kind of silver tier? Um, That seems to be a big issue with a lot of tiered programs. And to your last point, Phil, the basic inherent challenge of tiered programs is is the inherent complication. You know, a good program is a simple program, and as soon as you introduce tiers, then it can become complicated. And, you know, one thing I learned over the years is don't overestimate your members' ability to understand complicated yeah. program mechanics. That's you know, so most members are inclined not to take in the detail. They just join and see what happens. That's very true. The other thing I'd say, um, the diff- with retail and and um, all the all the benefits of these things, is that the way the way the reason why air- airline ones particularly work is that the benefits of the of the tiers are largely high perceived value, low cost rewards that are that are, have a very incremental cost. So likes of access to the lounge. Whereas in retail programs, it's very difficult to replicate that in a way that doesn't overly reward your most valuable customers. And this is whenever you do a business case for these things, you start to say, well, actually, I've got these really high-value customers that spend a lot with me. If I reward them with more benefits, it just brings the business case down because they're already loyal. And with, But with airlines, you've got a very small proportion of customers. I mean, in airlines I've worked in, it can be as small as 5% of customers driving 25% of spend. You can actually, with a, with a lounge, which is actually a very a small piece of real estate, you can award those customers and still drive the benefits without less. Whereas in, an, in a retail program, to get that same thing, you'd have to give it as a discount. These customers are already loyal. They're already spending a lot of money. It makes yeah, the maths really hard. Yeah, but, but a common, a common uh, mis- misunderstanding, I think, about airline programs, is, is and, and it's not unreasonable for people to do this, but they think it is about the lounge, right? And a lounge is important, and it is the thing that's, that, that is, is first in people's minds. So, so I'm not saying it isn't important, but when you get under the skin of the, of the emotional why, why, why do people care? Why do people fear losing it, right? Because you can pay for the lounge often. Right. Yeah, it's true. Well, there, there's actually two. There's two uh, emo- sort of 
in, in, in emotional things. The first one is that it removes friction points in a journey. So it keeps, if, another way of saying it, it keeps you away from idiots that don't understand how to, how to get through an airport. Right? <laughs> and when you're traveling twice a week, it's really, really annoying to get stuck behind one of them in, a, in the X-ray. And, it, and, it, and is it irrational, right? Because there's only another like, 45 seconds, right? But you watch people that get stuck behind someone that's a real frequent traveler. And I've, I've, I've stood behind so many pieces of glass and, and just, just observed it again and again and again, that desire to have an easy rat run through, through the, the journey, the whole end-to-end journey, of which a lounge is, a big, is an important piece, but it's not the only piece is part of it and the second part of it is confidence that when something goes wrong that you get looked after no but and, i think my and, point is but my point is you can't push too many people down that so it, it, no, otherwise otherwise it becomes a benefit so and the reason why it works for travel particularly is that there is actually a quite a small number of people that that that, that can achieve the benefits which mean that that works and if you took that into a grocery program You'd, the, the maths wouldn't work because you'd just have too many trying to chase... Yeah, but you can't get... The, the, no, it's a different maths. That's, yeah, that's what I'm trying to maths. say. It is different the, maths. The, 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 the um, emotional maths, because it's emotion, not maths, right? In a retail program, it's stuff, right? You might get free... You might get early access to stuff. You might get discounts of stuff, but it's stuff, right? That confidence that when something goes wrong, they get you home first... Like that is unquantifiable. That is what drives the emotional and the fear of if I if I fly without that. Why why do people that are flying in business class still want tears? It's it's because it brings that layer, extra layer of confidence that when when shit happens, which is this summer has happened all the time, that you get looked after. Right? Even if that people haven't ever had that problem, there's like that confidence that when I'm traveling as a as a top tier member, something goes wrong, it gets me home, and that enables the the, like deep uh, sort of emotional engagement, which which um, a, a rewards based program I guess cannot replicate. No matter how much you spend on it, you can't get that same engagement. Doesn't yeah, mean you can't get engagement, but it's just not the same. The example I see in retail, the only one I, I see in retail that gets close to that, and and I, and I mean from the emotional perspective, is in some of those high end cosmetic type programs. Mm where, one, they're very generous programs. They've got quite a bit of margin to play with, but it's, it's, the, um, it's the lavish gifts that um, accrue when you move through tiers in those programs. And so you, 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 you see a little bit of that hint of, I'm being made to feel very special. And by the way, the program probably, to your point, uh, Ian, about business case, the program can probably afford quite a bit because of the margins mm. involved. Um, but I'm, I'm right with you, Phil, in terms of supermarket program. I've heard, you know, suggestions. Oh, why don't we have a dedicated lane, to, <laughs> dedicated lane in the supermarket to the gold supermarket customers? None of them ever come close to stacking up. Yeah. Um, so what do you, where do you think they do work best? What are, the, what are the criteria that you think are associated with where you should have tiers? I think they work where there are attractive and emotionally attractive and relevant benefits for moving up those the tiers. And I also think where the rules of engagement are sufficiently simple and there are good tracking mechanisms to allow a member to clearly understand their progress towards the next tier. So, Phil, in your case, about the status runs, yep, I've done the sums, 
I am blah status credits away from attaining gold, and this is how I do it. I think mm. that there is also the onus on the program operator to clearly spell out, um, hey, Phil, um, just letting you know, in a month the census is coming up, and so see if you can squeeze in some more status credits, otherwise you might lose gold. You know, the the opportunity there for the program operator is to clearly communicate you know, the, the rules of engagement. So do you think that is where that works best then, where there's what I would call lumpy value, as in there's big lumps of spend? Reason. So that, again, I think that's a reason why it's... Because with, with, with flights, even if you are a very frequent flyer, you may be flying a single-digit numbers of flights a year, where one more is another big lump. Whereas if you're shopping every week or every day and it's small incremental value, it becomes more difficult to communicate that and also track it in a way that's going to incentivize spend. I think that's right. And if you look at the retail tiering programs, they're typically around, oh, you need to spend this band per year. Yeah. And that's generally hard to track. And also there's there's the minutiae of complication. Oh, is that a calendar year spend or is that a financial year spend or is it a rolling 12-month spend? Yeah. And I've seen some programs usually mm-hmm. under a title of It's Easy, listing <laughs> a labyrinth of complicated rules around how their tiers work. And, and and to my earlier point, people just shut off and say, oh, they've got tiers, whatever. I'll see how that, it goes. That, that's certainly how the old Tesco Keys program worked. You had you, you spent a certain amount, then you, there you achieved a blue tier, and then a key, and then a green key, and then a, and it unlocked certain benefits. But, you know, it didn't last particularly long. But, but funny enough, they did manage to pull off an amazing thing where we were we were tracking on the side, um, you know, which programs people thought were simple. And customers did think that program was simple. I mean, whether they didn't understand, whether they meant the program and all the tier benefits or whether they just meant the program, I don't know. But we were looking for the outside in. We couldn't believe how how something that complicated could be perceived as being simple. But it doesn't exist anymore. So I guess there's, there's that, that, that is a lesson in itself. But for, for me, the, the, the two variables that, or the two aspects that make it make a tiering more likely to be successful, one is the brand needs to be, it works better where the brand is, is more aspirational than every day. So yeah. grocery is, is like the opposite. Like there, there's no glory in being a, being a top tier in, in, a, in a grocery market chain. Or petrol. Or maybe I'm being... <laughs> petrol, petrol, another cut, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, if in, um, in, in that top end, uh, in, in that top end... Uh, makeup etc or, or or even top end uh, apparel then there's it's a slightly different different ball game and the other thing i think is where there's um an element of discretion so that might, might be coming to what you're saying there ian about lumpy stuff but if you've got if if, if there's if there's a discretionary spend then either you can choose to spend it or not to spend it or you can choose to switch it between uh different competitors then, then that that can be because you want both. You want people to be attracted to the to the to, to the uh, benefit, you know, to the brand and 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 feel part of the the, the team, if you like, um, whilst being able to actually change behaviour. Because that second bit is what will make the business case. So let, let's flip on his head then, saying saying if they're the if they're the criteria that make you consider whether it'll work, what are the criteria you should consider that, that that you shouldn't that it's very unlikely to work then. So one, the one we've mentioned before is where there's a steady, where, where grocery, where there's a steady collection of, of, of value over time, that's unlikely to, to work. Because I, I've got a feeling that, that being singled out, 
there's this thing about flight shaming and otherwise. You know, some some brands and some things are status and being and feeling um, entitled work better in some some brands than others. Like Phil, you said, for example, um, fashion brands. I think fashion brands, this works very well because that feeling of being singled out as special and being recognised by that brand is very important. Whereas I'm not sure I'd feel the same way about petrol. Yeah, I think to your, to your point, grocery and fuel, it, it's harder. And, and I think I think tiering's not suited to coalition programmes um, yeah. and thinking about my flybys experience. Oh, why don't you have gold flybys cards? Well, because... Um, someone who's a gold customer, in inverted commas, at Coles supermarkets is not a gold customer at Coles Express Fuel Outlet or at a Bunnings or an Officeworks. And so, you know, I think, you know, EMLs Canada is a program over the years that has had cheering, but um, that's a very rare example and that's, and that's where I don't think it works. But rather than look at where they don't work, I, th- I think the default is no. And, and by exception, yeah. this is where we should ha- have tiering. And, you know, there are, there, are all, there are alternatives to tiers. You know, even in a coalition program, the supermarket can say, well, let, let's, let's, let's look at the top 2% of points earners and let's do something special for them as a one-off, mm. right? And, you know, that kind of surprise and delight type thing. And I, th- I think there's... You know, a lot of mileage in, in, in that kind of approach that saves you the complication of all of the, of the program rules and the dreaded awkwardness when you de- need to downgrade a member. You know, I, I think that's the nasty side of cheering. How do you, what's a nice way of telling someone that they're now less important and less treasured than they used to be? You know, how do you how do you tell a captain a captain of industry that they're now no longer welcome at the exclusive captain's lounge? Maybe I should hand over to Phil for some war stories in that regard. Yeah, I think we'd have a whole a whole podcast on war stories in that regard. <laughs> no, no, but it's exactly right. It it completely gets the grain because you tell people for years you're really important to us, and then they don't they don't like engage with you for you know, for a small period of time, and boom, down they go. I've got a really good story for that as, as we're on that, where, um, where I was at, uh, Keith Mills was going to be invested in, we all know Keith Mills, Keith Mills is like a grandparent to all of us in loyalty, he was going to be invested into the, into the loyalty hall of fame, and, uh, and as the founder of Air Miles, and, and everyone who's listening to the podcast probably knows who Keith Mills is, he was invited to a, a dinner to get invested into this loyalty hall of fame, or travel hall of fame, and uh, British Airways and others took a seat at this table. And he stood up and said, thank you. I, over the years, I think I've earned various airline brands billions of pounds with the creation of this thing. And today I got an email saying I've been, I've, I've been had my status demoted from <laughs> skull to silver. So thank you very much. Um, I'm on my table if anyone wants to buy me a drink. Goodbye. Brilliant. There's sort of tumbleweed rolling through the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there you go. You know, that's, it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Un- unavoidable as well because you can't only have tiers to go up because then it would just be eventually it would just be completely nonsense yeah yeah i mean he has a private jet which is probably why he's not going into these things. or yeah, i'm not sure he has a private jet but he certainly doesn't um anyway um so so um 
What piece of advice then finally would you give to people considering? Because I think I love your thing there, Phil, where you said the default should be no, because I often hear from senior management the default should be yes. And it's I think that's a perfect way to start. But is there any other advice you'd give loyalty professionals thinking about tiering who are listening to this? Yeah, I, th- I think just be cautious and think about what you're trying to achieve before you take on that complication. And then to the point we've made earlier, just think about what you can offer to try and differentiate. And to your point, Phil, what are the the, um, the emotional pulls that that will um, you know make this work? Because you know, to your examples, they can be very powerful in certain circumstances. Is is the makeup of your program going to tap into those that that those you know critical essential um, success factors that you need? Phil, would you add anything to that? Uh, I'd still say, I would still say, A, be open-minded. So I, I, I completely agree with Phil. You should start off with an assumption, you should start off with skewing towards no, definitely. Uh, but I have, there's been, there's been usually in, in, in top end stuff, but I've been, I've been quite surprised where the customers have been really demanding it and willing to pay for it as well. So that, so I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write it off. I would be open to it, but only if you're really, really clear about what it will bring, how you're going to bring it and what it takes to, to do that. Because right? you can't make a decision about whether you have something until you understand the full impact, both on the, on the upside, but also on, on the downside, on the, on the, the complexity and the managing and, and, and being willing to deal with those, those uh, nasties when they come. Perfect. Well, on that, I'd just like to say thank you to my two Phils tonight. So thank you, Phil Hawkins. Thanks, Ian. And thanks, Phil Gunter. Always a pleasure, Ian. Thank you. And if you like this podcast, please like, share or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast. And we look forward to your company again soon. Thank you. Goodbye.